Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1 tonight. Today is, if you didn't know otherwise, I'm sure you did, that it's Veterans Day. And uh, so tonight I'm going to be talking about Veterans for the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I think I forgot. <clears throat> you know, at Veterans Day, this day set aside honoring all those living who served in the military, who are serving. Um, just a couple of interesting facts about Veterans Day. It's first observed on November 11, 1919, as Armistice Day, in honor of the first anniversary of the end of the World War I, which officially ended on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. Uh, there are around 19 million veterans in the United States, uh, according to the latest statistic of 2021. And uh, there are 9 million veterans over the age of, uh, veterans over the age of 65. And we've got one of them here tonight. Brother Starling is a veteran. Of course, Robert's a veteran. And uh, certainly appreciate our veterans and their service uh, for the Lord, for, the, for our country. But uh, let's kind of consider tonight veterans for the Lord. I'm going to read first, Second Timothy chapter one, verses one through five. It says, "Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life." that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. You know, a veteran is, somebody, is someone, is a, a, definite, a simple definition of a veteran is someone in long service. Someone in long service. Of course, this, this epistle, this uh, pastoral epistle, is written by a veteran Christian. That would be the Apostle Paul. Probably at this time, He's probably had 30 years in the service of the Lord. And 30, um, how do you want to, want to describe his, his uh, years of service? Um, many catastrophes and calamities, but the Lord saw him through all of them. You know, and he's still serving the Lord. Um, but as Christians, our service Lord uh, is to be until the end. And I want to notice several things about this from this passage tonight. First of all, it requires enlisting in the cause. Enlisting uh, in the cause. The word, the word enlisting means to enter into some cause or enterprise. It's to volunteer. You know, our, our military today is volunteer. And in verses 1 and 2, and it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. And I think the idea here that he's implying is that these faithful men have volunteered. It speaks of fidelity. In other words, they're dedicated to the cause. They're, they're, they're determined to, to uh, be faithful in the cause, in their service for the Lord. And so they had listed in the service of the Lord. You know, in 1 Samuel 17, 29, when, you know, um, uh, yeah, what's that giant's name? 
uh, Goliath made his, his uh, challenge to the, to the nation of Israel, and it was not really a challenge just to the nation of Israel. It was also challenging their, their God and defying their God. And, of course, everybody was afraid of him, and David simply said, what have I not done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? You know, and David volunteered for this cause. He volunteered himself, you know, though he was just a very young man, maybe even a teenager. And he, he volunteered for the cause of God's name, for the glory of God, and for the deliverance and glory of Israel as a witness to the nations. He volunteered. He says, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? Paul spoke of this cause in 2 Timothy, or not 2 Timothy, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And verses 5 through 18, 2 Corinthians 4, and verses 5 through 18, and he uses the word cause quite often in this chapter. He says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake, or for Jesus' cause, you could say. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this vessel in earthen vessels, or this treasure, I'm sorry, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. There's our cause, to manifest Jesus in our body. For we which live are always delivered for death, unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death work in, the, in us, but life in you. You know, if you aren't dying to self, you can't manifest Christ in your body. If you're not dying to self. That's how you manifest Christ in your life, is by dying to self. And that's what he did. We have the same spirit of faith, according as is written, I believe, therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, or for your cause, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause... So, you know, because of all this, for, for all this, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for you, we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inner man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are, etern- are not seen are eternal. You know, Paul could remind these this church at Corinth that, you know, though he saw with his own eyes, you know, the things that he received, the temporal things, the, the danger and the risk that he, that he uh, faced in giving the gospel at Corinth, yet he endured seeing things which are not seen, which are eternal, so that they could have the opportunity to hear the gospel and come to know Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, so he says this light affliction which is but for a moment. You know, how long? Now, if you read chapter 12, chapter 11 and 12, you'd say, well, I don't know if I'd describe his afflictions as light or for a moment. You know, it, it was basically the entire ministry, life of ministry that he had, 
there was there was constant harassment and and persecution and you know and afflictions and and then later on bodily afflictions on top of that. So you know, but he calls it it's but for a moment. You know, when compared to eternity, thirty years is a moment. It's just a moment. It's just a we would say a drop in the bucket. So it is, and that's how he looked at things. That's how he looked at things. But he said it works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Uh, so, so this was the cause that he was involved in. You know, he, he wrote in 2 Timothy in chapter 1, in verses 9 through 12, he talked about this, "...who has saved us and called us on the holy calling." Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which is given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. So this is, this, is, this is our cause. This is our cause for living. He would say, this is my purpose in living. And, 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 it, and it's, it's to make manifest, uh, is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death, hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, whereunto I am appointed a preacher and apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I knew whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. So, you know, he said, I, I'm, this, is, this is my cause. This is my purpose. Uh, he, and he, in Second uh, Timothy 1 and verse 16, he says, how be it for this cause? You know, for, and of course, the, the cause there is talking about his salvation in verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's why Christ came. To, to, of whom I am chief, how be it for this cause I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern that which should of, to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. You know, Paul was the chief of sinners. And he says, this is, this, to me, you know, the, the Lord working in my life is a pattern in them that believe hereafter that, how are you going to say, I'm too great a sinner to be saved? I mean, Paul was guilty of persecuting the Christians, imprisoning them, beating them, consenting to the death to the least, and probably even putting them to death. And... You know, he was a he was a uh, tyrant. Really, is what he was. And so he says, "This is a pattern. If Jesus, Christ Jesus come into the world to save sinners, I'm chief. I'm the I'm the the prince of sinners. So if God can save me, He can save you. He can save you. And this is the cause. This is our cause. Uh, we're enlisted in the cause that we might." So we might see the grace and long-suffering of Christ and make it known to the world. We might know it and make it known to the world. So we do have a cause. And, of course, to be a veteran requires enlisting in the cause. Secondly, it requires dependence in the Lord to be effective. Now, I'll notice two things here. First of all, we're to be strong. We need the strength of the power of God Notice again in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, if we're going to be effective, 
and usable in the Lord's service, we have to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want to define two words here. Strong, this word strong means to receive strength. So the idea is you're getting your strength from somewhere, some outside source. It's not from yourself. You know, Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. In other words, when my flesh is weak, Christ's power is manifested in my life. That's what he would say. Because I, 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 I have to rely on the Lord. Otherwise, I can't, I'm not able to do what God wants me to do. And, and that, that's how it's to be done. So it's to receive strength, to be strengthened. That's the idea here, this, uh, this word, strong. And the uh, overlying tenses in the Greek. Uh, so it's to receive strength. You know, Ephesians 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. You're not going to be successful in your own strength. Uh, you know, when, 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 even when a soldier goes out in the battlefield, his strength, to, to a great extent, is in his training and his equipment. His equipment. Now, he's got to use all that stuff. He's got to utilize it. And you and I have to utilize, learn to utilize. You have to learn how to utilize the strength of the Lord. Um, you know, they, 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 what do they do? They train, 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 train. Brother Stog told me, they train, 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 train. So when you got in the battle and you, were, and, you, and you were all of a sudden, it was thrown upon you and you're nervous, you just automatically did what you were trained to do. You know, that's what they tell you, self-defense. You train, 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 so that when you get in a self-defense situation, you just automatically go into training mode, what you've been trained. See, that's something, a strength that's coming, that's been taught you. And that's the way we need to do with, with our walk with the Lord. We need to work at denying the flesh and trusting in the Lord, depending upon Him. Work at it, work at it, work at it, as I said Sunday morning practice by reason of use we have to practice so so it's a strength that comes from from outside of, of our of us it's, a, it's an outside source which is the lord be strong in the grace and that word grace means the spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace now the word grace itself has the idea of favor so we're we're governed by god's divine favor now, what did it say about Daniel? You know, that God brought, what did I just say? God brought Daniel into favor with the prince of the eunuchs. But see, I believe it's because Daniel was relying on the Lord. He was obeying him. And following the Lord's leading, trusting in the Lord for direction, for wisdom, not in his own understanding. And the Lord gave him grace in the eyes of the prince of the eunuchs. Uh, he found favor. Joseph, wherever he went, he found favor. He found favor with Potiphar. He found favor with Pharaoh. He fa- wherever he went, he found favor with the prison guard. God brought him into favor. But it was his submission to the Lord's strength and relying on the Lord and all his own wisdom that was the cause of that. So, again, the idea here is 
is to rely on the strength of the Lord and not your own. You know, Paul said, I know that in me, that is my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's not very good for our self-esteem, I know, but that's reality. You know, Jesus said to the disciples, the spirit indeed is willing. But what's the problem? What's the problem we have? The flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. So we have to battle. We have to subdue the flesh. You know, Paul said, he wrote to the Corinthians, he said, I bring my body into subjection. The idea was he buffets his body, brings it into subjection, subdues it. He wrote to the Corinthians and said, I die daily. Same idea. So, so it requires that we be strong in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It also requires a confidence in our commander. Again, verse 1 and verse 3. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Now, we have to have confidence in our commander. And that requires that we know him. We know him. We know him as our Savior. But we also know him as our Lord. We know him and we know him as a person. That's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 3. When he said, that I may know him. He wasn't talking about, oh, I wish I was saved. He wasn't, he wasn't talking about his salvation. He already knew him as his Lord and Savior. But he said, I really want to know him in a more personal way. I want to know more about him. I want to know more of his power. I want to know more of his favor. I want to know, know more of his fellowship. I want to know more about him. You know, if you're going to put yourself in a position of dependence on someone, you will want to know something about that person. I don't just give anybody my house keys or my car keys or my credit card. You know. Uh, but, you know, there are certain people I would give them to. Why? Because I know them. I have confidence. I have confidence in those people. You know, though Peter's ambition was misguided, he had one thing right. He knew who he was fighting for. He said, I know. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But you know, when you get into real life situations, you know, you can train and train and train in like self-defense situation, but when you get into the real self-defense situation, that's when it really shows whether you've practiced enough. Whether you really are proficient in your understanding and knowledge. You know, and Peter, though he was practicing, and, the, and, and, and you know, at times he'd fail and the Lord had to rebuke him, and he'd, you know, continue on, and, and you know, the, the rebukes kind of continued for quite a while with Peter until the end. He denied the Lord three times, but then that one last time, you know, the Lord spoke to him and John chapter 20. And he seemed to have it settled. You see, we didn't have confidence. And Paul, when he wrote the book of Philippians, 
in verses three, in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to know the power of God in my life. So, so when, I, when I follow the Lord's leading, and it requires me to risk my own life, I want to know that there is the resurrection power. I want to know that so that I'm willing to do that. If that's what God wants. And the fellowship of His sufferings. That He'll carry me through the sufferings. He'll be there with me through the sufferings. Being made conformable unto His death. If by any means I may attain unto the resurrection as dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend for that which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, you know, you might say, Peter, well, let's go to Acts chapter 20, and, I want to look, and then I want to make a comment about this, what Paul's saying here. Acts chapter 20, in verse 22, you know, he's headed to Jerusalem. He believes that's where the Lord wants him to go. He's been warned not to go. And he says this in verse 22 of chapter 20 of Acts. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Say that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and affliction bide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life, count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Of God. So, you know, what Paul is really saying here in Philippians 3 and here in Acts chapter 20, he says, none of these things deter me, they don't scare me, or keep me from my purpose of doing what I believe the Lord wants me to do. And, you know, I, he's saying, I believe this is God's will, and for, and, and, and you know, he's concluded this, that I know that my Lord is the only potentate and King of kings and Lord of lords. So what he was doing was just casting his life into the hands of the sovereign God. That when he went to Jerusalem, if he died, if he was obedient to the Lord, and he went to Jerusalem and he died for the cause of Christ, it was God's will. And if it was God's will, he would be delivered. But he was willing to just lay his life on the line. Why? He had confidence in his commander. I think I shared this with you before that uh, one of my teachers in Bible Institute class years ago was a World War II veteran. And he told us some stories in class different times. And he said that we had this one lieutenant that we just, we loved him to death. Because he said he'd lead us. He'd lead us into battle. He wouldn't tell us where to go. He'd say, man, we're taking this street over here. Let's go. And he'd take off. Which meant we'd have follow him. He said we'd have went with him anywhere. Because he was willing to go with us and put his life on the line. He just wasn't telling us to put our lives on the line. He said we'd have died for him. 
because he he led us. He said there was he said I'm I'm certain there was officers got shot by their own men because they wouldn't lead. They wouldn't lead. You know, Jesus led us. He set for us the example. He died to his own will. He surrendered to the Father's will. And and so we can have confidence that in our Lord that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, that he will, he will take care of us and protect us until our time is done here on this earth. You know, we ought, we ought to be, as, as children of God, we ought to understand that until God is done with you in this world, no man can kill you. Can't do it. Philippians 1.6 says, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.24, Faith was he that calleth you who also will do it. So if God wants you to do a task and complete that task and until you're done completing his will and task on earth for his service, who's, who's going who's gonna to take your life? Any more than they couldn't take Jesus' life until his time was come. Remember, he said to his brethren in John chapter 7, you know, I go not up yet. Your time is always. My time is not yet. It's not yet come. Oh, it's not time yet for me to die. And that's why on several occasions when they tried to kill him, he just walked through the mist and passed by. You could read stories of missionaries in Africa and different places of the world that were where the natives were preparing for a cannibal meal. And for some reason or other, they didn't carry out their plans. You see, Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, I know whom I have believed it, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against the day. I know, and here's the key word, whom I have believed it. So, again, this dependence in the Lord to be effective requires that we have a confidence in our commander. The third thing, what you want to see here is um, better, being a veteran requires endurance. Verses 3 and 4. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The word endurance means to suffer or endure evils, hardships, troubles, to be afflicted. And, you know, for much of our national history, we have been a blessed people. We've known liberty, freedom. Um, you, know, you know, there's been persecution around the world almost every century. Probably uh, there has been in every century. In fact, the 20th century, according to some statistics, they say there was the most persecuted of Christians in all of history. 
But you know, we don't hear about a lot of that stuff. Because it don't make national news. But you start thinking about the countries that the gospel is not welcome in. And you start listing them. There's lots of them. Korea, China, parts of India, Pakistan, all the Muslim countries, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, uh, you know, Istanbul, uh, you know, and Egypt, and Ethiopia, and Yemen, and, you know, you're just going on and on. And there's probably more countries in the world where Christians are, per- true Christians are persecuted than they're not. But it's coming here. It's already started. You know, we don't, we don't face the physical yet. Or what the greatest onslaught we're seeing is with propaganda and media and all that stuff. Compromise. The temptation to compromise. You know, Peter, in his epistle, first epistle, raised this question. Who will be he, who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, why would anyone, if they really understood true Christianity, hate Christians? I mean, do we steal? Are we thieves? Do we kill others because they don't follow our Lord? Or do we try to force them to believe like us? Do we, do we hate our enemies? I mean, do we believe in defending the rights of others? Yeah, you know, if, if, if our enemies were, were being wronged, I would endeavor to defend them. So, why would the world hate us? Well, Jesus said they'll hate you. They hated me, they'll hate you. Of course, the problem is we kind of expose their evil. But we could ask that same question of why would the world, some in the world, some even in our nation, hate people in the military or veterans? You say, well, do people really? Yeah, all you got to do is Google it and you'll find out. They do. Why? You know, Cora, that's a website, there was a question. What if I am a U.S. citizen and I hate the military? So this former Army MP and Navy Weapons Electronic Tech at United States Armed Forces from 87 to 2002, he responds with this, this answer. Quote, it's your absolute right to hate them, especially because you're a citizen of a country that gives you that right. But by the way, here's something else to think about If your country was under attack or you were under duress because of some natural disaster, those same soldiers were still mobilized to protect you. Yeah, that military sure is a bunch of useless illegitimates. Now, he didn't use that word, but I used that word in place of what he used, isn't it? Hmm. You see, there are people that hate hate veterans, hate the military. You know how, you know, it's common knowledge how the, the Vietnam veterans were treated by society, basically, when they came back from Vietnam from serving our country. And it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame. It's, it's, a, it's something that happens because people don't rightly understand. 
But if we're going to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ, if, we're going to, if you're going to be even a good soldier, you have to endure that hardness. You have to endure hardness. You have to, you have to, be, to be willing to face the hardships, to suffer the hardships. Um, the ridicule. You know, you, you're, here for, you're here for one purpose. You know, whether people love us or hate us, that should not be our major concern. What's verse 4 says? No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. You know, he shouldn't be having his finger in the air. Uh, does society like me or not? And then I'll decide whether I'm going to obey orders. No. That's not how we ought to do it here. Hmm, one of these people over here will like me or not. Then I'll decide whether... I'm going to be faithful to the Lord and be a witness and testimony. No, we're going to endure hardness. You know, our major concern should be, are we living to please our Lord? Are we living in fellowship with Him? You know, the Saul of Tarsus, his song would go like this, For me to live is me, myself and I. That would have been his song. I am angry, self-righteous bigot, and I hate those who don't agree with me. And I'm going to persecute them. That would have been his theme song. The Apostle Paul would have sang this. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. To know his word and walk his narrow way. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill, like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. See, that's all he was concerned about. He wasn't concerned about what the leaders at Jerusalem thought. You know, I was doing a little research, preparing for this message, and I you know, to illustrate this point, I want to talk a little bit about the Battle of Iwo Jima. The, and just to give you a little background, uh, Iwo Jima is a very small island in the South Pacific, not far from Japan. And it really is, it's really uninhabited even to this day. There's, there's, a, few, there's, there's a military base, just a, just a few things there. It's really not even a military base anymore. But anyway, the, the reason they... But it's a mountainous island. It's only, I think, four miles long. Uh, and it's very mountainous. But uh, they, to, to, to get to Japan, uh, to defeat Japan in World War II, they needed the island. You know, to get their B-29 bombers to Japan, they had to get rid of the air base, the Japanese air base on Iwo Jima because they were using that air base to intercept the B-29s. Well, the Japanese had 18,000, 20,000 soldiers there in this little island, and it was, it was, there was a lot of tunnels in under the mountainous rock. And so that's, that was how they fortified the thing. Uh, so in 36 days of fighting on the island, nearly 7,000 Marines were killed. 
Another 20,000 were wounded. Um, they captured 216 out of 18,000 Japanese. The rest of them died in battle. They would not surrender. Um, there's a picture. Most of you have probably seen the picture of the flag raising in Iwo Jima. Okay? Uh, flag raisers were Corporal Block, Navy pharmacist John Bradley, Corporal Reen Gagnon, Franklin, PFC Franklin Sousley, Sergeant Michael Strank, and Corporal Ira Hayes. However, three of those men were killed taking the rest of the island after that flag raising. Um, but anyway, you know, these, the, the thing I want to mention about this is I, I got this from evangelist Dan Manka from West Virginia, and, and he sent this just, just the other day. I got an email. But anyway, and he writes this, quote, At one moment in time in 1945, Iwo Jima had been secured, and Major Gil Henderson had received orders to evacuate with his troops. The Marine officer had survived all 36 days of fighting on Iwa. His outfit raised the flag on Mount Sarabaki, during which the most fi- famous photo of World War II was taken. Henderson was looking at the flag in the field glasses as it went up. As this group of Marines headed back to their transport on the beach of Iwo Jima, they passed the 5th Division Uris Marine Corps graveyard. In silence, they observed hundreds of fresh graves, which con- constituted a small fraction of the thousands of Americans who had just lost their lives taken taking Iwo Jima. They were standing in front of a makeshift sign when they summoned strength to come to attention. It was here that Major Henderson wept for the first time on Iwo Jima. The sign had the following message in hand-printed, painted amateur letters, quote, When you go home, tell them for us and say, For your tomorrows we gave our today. Unquote. Semper Fi. You see, we're not living for today. The problem in our country is too many are just living for today. That's all they have in sight. And it's about them, me, myself, and I today. You know, our purpose, our cause is greater than today. It's greater than today. You know, these Japanese, they were so devoted to their cause, they would die in battle before surrender. In fact, there were two units of Japanese that were captured on that island in 1949, four years after the end of the war. They were still living in the caves and scavenging for food on the island, but they would not surrender. You know, we ought never surrender our covers. He says that we're to endure hardness as a good soldier through Jesus Christ. We're not to entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. Don't get caught up with the vanity of this world that it hinders us from pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ in our service for Him. For we have a cause. We're looking for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is not our home. 
This isn't where we're going to spend eternity. We may spend it here 70, 80 years. Or maybe 90, if you're fortunate. But that's all. You know, we were created to live with and for God. And we were created to live for eternity. And now is the time to prepare. So, a veteran, be a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And trust, depend upon the Lord, and endure hardness in his service. Let's pray.